You're listening to The Lunar Body, a podcast for feminist menstruators who want to manage their health naturally and supernaturally through nutrition, herbalism, and intuitive expansion using science and the moon as your guides. Hello and welcome to The Lunar Body. I'm your host, Kristen Ciccolini, period priestess, nutritionist, and the founder of Good Witch Kitchen. I'm going to start with my disclaimer right at the top so we can just dive right in. This information is for educational purposes only. It is not medical advice, and it is your responsibility to speak to a qualified healthcare provider about your unique needs. The final decision when considering any diet or lifestyle changes, whether it's discussed on the internet in a podcast or prescribed by your doctor, is always your own. This summer, I had the pleasure of being featured on the podcast called 30, Flirty, and Surviving. I am not 30 or flirty, but I am surviving. (laughs) And now that I'm 35, there's something that's been on my mind that I briefly discussed at the end of that episode, and that's the so-called fertility cliff. You may have seen me pop up on your For You page on TikTok back in August when there was a viral clip of our conversation. Tracy asked me what I wish more women knew. And I wanted to share that the fertility cliff, or the idea that your fertility takes a total nosedive in your mid-30s, is a myth, and it's based on some really, really old evidence. This idea suggests that on your 35th birthday, when you blow out your candles, your ovaries shrivel up and your ability to bear children simply takes one step too far and falls straight into a river, where you'll be swept away to the perimenopause hut where mood swings, vaginal dryness, and hot flashes await. Sure, your ovarian reserve does decline slightly as you get older, but it doesn't automatically mean you'll have trouble conceiving. All your remaining eggs don't go on strike as soon as you finish eating your birthday cake. The prevailing wisdom is that between the ages of 35 and 39, one in three women will not be pregnant after one year of trying to conceive. And yes, of course, this is the truth for many people for a variety of reasons, but I'm going to read you an excerpt from a 2013 article in The Atlantic by Jean M. Twenge that sheds more light on the statistic. So she writes, This statistic is based on an article published in 2004 in the journal Human Reproduction. Rarely mentioned is the source of the data, French birth records from the year get ready for this, 1670 to 1830. The chance of remaining childless, 30%, was also calculated based on historical populations. In other words, millions of women are being told when to get pregnant based on statistics from a time before electricity, antibiotics, or fertility treatment. Most people assume these numbers are based on large, well-conducted studies of modern women, but they're not. I learned about this in the book called The Panic Years by Nell Frizzell, which is an excellent read for anyone in their 30s feeling pressured about their fertility and about having babies and that whole lovely time in our lives. But she put it in a really great way. She said, it's like looking for advice on how to fix your car from a manual on a Victorian steam engine. (laughs) It's incredible, really. So when this clip went viral... A lot of people mentioned that there was an episode of Adam Ruins Everything that covered this exact statistic. I had never heard of it, so I went looking for it, and it turns out the same lady who wrote the article for The Atlantic was featured in this episode. And he goes further into debunking the fertility cliff myth, and it's really great. I'll link to it in the show notes. And he adds more context to the statistics, like the fact that the life expectancy wasn't very high back then. 
The women may have been having sex with older men whose fertility was also impacted, or women may not have been having sex at all. And that really impacts birth statistics. <laughs> so that's something to put a pin in too, that men aren't always considered when it comes to the fertility conversation. It's all pinned on the rest of us. But as is the case when things go viral, there were a lot of comments about how there was no nuance to the clip, which obviously it's a TikTok. Someone asked if they wanted a bibliography for a conversation, <laughs> um, which I thought was funny. And people were criticizing me for not taking their personal, individual, private, nuanced situation into consideration when speaking in generalized terms. So sorry to all of you who I don't know whose private situations I did not think to contact you about personally before opening my mouth, but <laughs> I do hear the need for more information. So that's what this episode is. And I'll tackle some of the comments that people made here. The most common criticism people had was along the lines of, it might not be difficult to get pregnant, but there's higher risk involved. So let's take a look at that. The risk of miscarriage does increase significantly, but more so after the age of 40. And not to minimize miscarriage at all, but it is really very common. 10 to 15% of pregnancies end in miscarriage, and this goes up to about 20% after 35 there are, of course, other factors that go into this risk as well, including previous miscarriages and chronic conditions that impact reproductive hormones like thyroid issues. Also, the health of your uterus and your cervix and the tissue in that area. And there's no known way to prevent a miscarriage because the reason they happen is not always known. So you simply do the best you can and focus on your health. And we'll talk a little bit more about preconception planning in a bit. Another risk is for birth defects, which research has found to be the case for both younger and older people, so under 20 and over 40. And the research states right off the bat that the causes are unknown, so age is an association, not a causation. In the Adam Ruins Everything episode, he states that the risk of birth defects doubles, but only from 0.5% to 1%. In the context of Down syndrome, the odds are 1 in 2,000 at age 20, whereas the odds at age 40 are 1 in 100. The risk factors being at both ends of the maternal age spectrum also goes for preterm birth, with the highest percentage going to women over 40 at about 14%, and the next being women under 20 at 10.4%. And I'm saying women because that is what the research accounts for. So women between 30 and 39 experience preterm birth at 10.3%. So it really isn't until after 40 that the risk of premature birth starts to rise more significantly. So there are risks in all pregnancies, but at 35, it doesn't appear to be much of an issue, and it's not a complete nosedive as we're taught to believe. At 40, there definitely are more risks involved for sure, but it doesn't mean you won't be able to have a healthy pregnancy or a healthy baby. You have a much higher chance of nothing going wrong than something going wrong. And there are many, many stories of people having babies well into their mid-40s with perfectly happy and healthy families. And keep in mind also, again, the partner's fertility too. If you're in your 40s, your partner is likely of similar age and their sperm motility is also a factor. Being 35 doesn't automatically mean you'll have difficulty conceiving. Again, there's so much that goes into fertility, including genetics, but a lot of perceived infertility may have to do with lack of education and stress. 
I say perceived because many people are unaware of how their menstrual cycle actually works. They don't know when they're fertile and when they're not, and they may be trying at the wrong times, getting frustrated, thinking there's something wrong with them, when really they're just trying outside of the fertile window, so before the egg is released or after the egg has died off. And we have a six-day fertile window every cycle, so they might be trying outside of that. And there's a huge misconception that you ovulate on day 14 of your cycle. So this may be the case for some people, but not true for everyone, nor is it true of every cycle. That's why it's so important to track basal body temperature and cervical fluid when you're family planning. Maybe you have a slightly longer cycle and ovulate on day 18. Maybe your ovulation day shifts depending on your stress levels or if you've been sick or other factors. Or maybe you've come off birth control and you're still regulating. You can experience anovulatory cycles at that time, which means you're not ovulating. You might have a withdrawal bleed, but your cycle isn't happening normally. And that's something to be aware of that you're not typically taught about. Then there are also issues of stress, delaying ovulation, making timing more difficult, or a condition like PCOS, which makes ovulation harder to predict. There will certainly be more difficulty conceiving in these cases, but it's not necessarily impossible, and it's not necessarily because you're too old either. A lot of this rhetoric about having babies early functions as a fear tactic. After 35, we're considered of advanced maternal age. Pregnancies are considered geriatric pregnancies. The terms are rude as hell, and I know I'm often cynical, but let's also consider that fertility is a multi-billion dollar industry. Fertility clinics, expensive treatments, egg freezing. I keep getting an ad on TikTok that says the best time to freeze your eggs is when you don't have to or something like that, and like... LOL, I get it. They're saying freeze them when you're still young, but who the hell has money for that when they're young? You know, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. But if you scare people enough about the fertility cliff, then they'll be convinced to drop thousands of dollars on egg freezing and unnecessary testing. When I was looking up information on the fertility market, I saw something about a company that wanted to give you a credit score style rating for your fertility. Credit scores are a fucking scam, and so is that. Don't do that to yourself, please. All of this to say, if you are concerned about your fertility simply because of your age and because of these scary and inaccurate statistics, if you're panicking about your career or your readiness or that you haven't found the right partner yet, it'll all be okay. Hopefully it helps calm any fears or pressure you might be feeling if you're thinking of starting a family or if you're thinking of not starting a family. In that case, it's a good time to evaluate your method of birth control since pull and pray can still be ineffective in your late 30s and early 40s. There are many surprise babies at that age, so consider that. I do want to acknowledge the many people who are having trouble conceiving and who are diagnosed with infertility, and I'm sorry you're going through such a tough situation. This conversation is not meant to erase your very real and difficult experience, but as with anything in health, everyone's experience is different. And the more we discuss these topics, the more information that's out there about our reproductive health, the better. Rather than things like this being gatekept or spun in a way that makes us fear our future, so we play into the capitalist system that profits off of our bodies. Switching gears a bit for those who are focusing on family planning, I want to talk about preconception and what to focus on at this time. Ideally, you'll have some time to focus on getting your health in order before getting pregnant if that's what's needed in your situation, but I know that's not always the case. The following will be suggested areas of focus that you can pick and choose to work on. You don't have to do all of it at once. You don't have to do any of it. 
Remember, you are the authority on your own body, not me. The first thing, honestly for anyone and everyone, but especially if you're focused on fertility, is to reduce your stress. Remember what I've said in the past, when you're stressed, everything else goes to the back burner. Your body perceives that it's an unsafe time to bring new life into the world, so it's not going to spend its precious energy making sure your menstrual cycle is functioning properly. All your energy needs to go towards survival and safety and producing cortisol to help you cope with the stress. Chronically elevated cortisol has many health implications, one of which is inhibiting a hormone key for healthy ovulation, known as GnRH, or gonadotropin-releasing hormone. This is important for men too, as it can affect sperm count. I mentioned this in episode three of the podcast, but there's also something called cortisol steal. And this is a theory that your body has to steal from other sources to make cortisol. Cortisol, again, is your stress hormone, and stress blocks certain enzymes in the pathway needed to create reproductive hormones like progesterone, and it diverts that energy to producing more cortisol. Progesterone is a required hormone for pregnancy, so that's how it's impacted. Chronic stress also causes adrenaline levels to increase, which can negatively impact your body's ability to utilize progesterone. It can be hard to think of how to calm your stress when you're in the middle of it, so keep a running list of the things that you like to do that make you feel good and that ease your stress. This can look different for everyone, but some ideas include just reading a book, taking a walk, calling a friend, taking a bath, making a nice dinner with your partner, crafting, exercising, singing, dancing, anything, whatever it looks like for you. Keep a list in the notes app on your phone that you can turn to when you're feeling stressed or anxious and you're having trouble thinking of ways to calm your nervous system. You'll have that handy. Next with preconception planning, get your nutrient levels checked and test for food sensitivities if you suspect them. Especially if you're coming off the birth control pill, which is associated with nutrient depletion, it's important to get your levels checked and adjust your diet and supplements accordingly to bring any imbalances to optimal levels for conception. Specifically, you'll want to look for B vitamins, so riboflavin, B6, B12, and folic acid, vitamin C, magnesium, and zinc. B6 and folic acid are especially important for pregnancy, and I'll discuss that shortly. Then with food sensitivities, untreated allergies or intolerances can overstimulate the immune system and affect gut health, which may have an effect on fertility as well. Lab tests for this aren't always accurate, unfortunately, unless it's for allergies, in which case you'd go for testing. And if you were allergic to something, you'd probably already know about it. But with sensitivities, it's a bit harder. I recommend an elimination protocol, but only for the foods that you suspect If you're not sure what the cause is, keep a food diary noting your food, your mood, any physical symptoms, so you can start to connect the dot and see if there are any patterns. And not a food diary like MyFitnessPal or like where you're vlogging every last teaspoon of something, more just like this is what I ate, this is how I felt. Another step in preconception planning, which you can take or leave, is to consider your toxic load. We talked about toxic load and chemicals for a little bit in the period products episode, but in the U.S. especially, we are overloaded with chemicals in all of our products. It's impossible to fully avoid potential toxins because they're everywhere in our environment, but we can opt for products that have less of a burden on our systems. Placenta helps protect the fetus from toxins and waste, carrying them into the blood supply for the liver and kidneys to filter and dispose of. 
The barrier filters out many toxins, but not all of them. So you may want to start swapping out more natural products and incorporate more foods that support your natural detoxification function so that your detoxification organs, your kidney, liver, lungs, colon, and skin are functioning optimally by the time you conceive. Some practices to consider are dry brushing, which stimulates the lymphatic system and helps rid the body of toxins. Stretching regularly and exercising does this as well. You can use a shower filter for cleaner water. You can use natural beauty cleaning and personal care products to avoid potential endocrine disrupting chemicals. I'll link in the show notes to Falling or Falling, I don't know, Falling's restricted ingredient list. It's a beauty retail website that focuses on non-toxic products, and their ingredient list or their um, restricted ingredient list explains which ones they don't allow in products in their store and why. So that might be helpful. I also highly recommend the brand Coco Kind for all things skincare. Not affiliated. I just love them. I've been using them for years, and they never disappoint. You might also want to consider limiting plastic use because BPA and similar chemicals can be potential hormone disruptors. This one may be tough because there's so much plastic around us, but at the very least, just don't microwave anything in plastic containers or leave your plastic water bottle to roast in your hot car before drinking it. And speaking of drinking, drinking enough water is so important for so much, but also for waste clearance. Now, some important nutrients to incorporate into your meals or your supplement routine, depending on your needs, include omega-3 essential fatty acids. These are essential because we must get them from our diet. We can't make them. So for fertility purposes, consistently consuming omega-3s will support a growing fetus, especially its brain and nervous system development. It'll help you maintain healthy hormone levels and help protect against preterm birth and preeclampsia. Taken through pregnancy as well, it may help reduce the risk of postpartum depression. You can get it in wild-caught fish, in walnuts, chia seeds, hemp seeds, flax seeds, also the oils of these nuts and seeds, and also a high-quality fish oil supplement. Some examples of how you can get it in your diet. Enjoy fish as an entree or over a salad. You can use these oils like flax oil or walnut oil in your salad dressings or as a fat source in your smoothies. Never heated though, because omega-3 oils are heat sensitive and they degrade easily this way. So you don't want to make your anti-inflammatory oils inflammatory by heating them up. Nuts and seeds, have them as a snack, sprinkled on salad, yogurt, smoothies, or just get omega-3 in supplement form, usually in a soft gel. That's an option as well. Aside from omega-3, fat in general from high-quality sources is also important. These will support your hormones as well as brain development as your baby grows. You can get it in cheese if you tolerate it, nuts and seeds, grass-fed butter and ghee, coconut and coconut oil, avocado and avocado oil, olives and olive oil. These oils tend to be good for cooking, roasting, and, and sautéing. Coconut and avocado are best at higher temperatures, and olive oil is best at more medium temperatures. Folate is another key nutrient. This one's critical during pregnancy to avoid neural tube defects, which are defects of the brain and spine. It's strongly recommended by numerous medical organizations that people who plan to become pregnant start supplementing with this nutrient before conceiving. You can get folate from food and vegetables like asparagus, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, leafy greens, 
also in citrus fruits, bananas, cantaloupe, legumes. But a lot of people aren't getting the recommended amount of this vitamin in their diet, so you'll want to look for a folic acid supplement. Folic acid is the synthetic form of folate, and it's absorbed more easily than dietary folate. So ideally, you'll want to look for, let's see if I can pronounce this, L5-methyltetrahydrofolate. I did it. L5-methyl-THF. It's abbreviated that way. Vitamin D, another important nutrient for healthy bone development in your baby. Also strong bones for you because fetuses absorb your nutrients, so you need to replenish what's used and more. It supports the baby's gene expression, and before you even get there, it's also supportive for ovulation. You, of course, get vitamin D from sun exposure, and then with food, you can get it from eggs, mushrooms, low-mercury fish, and grass-fed butter. If you're looking to supplement, look for vitamin D3, ideally paired with vitamin K2 because it helps with absorption and calcium metabolism. B vitamins are key for preconception nutrition as well as because they support the nervous system and hormones, DNA production, fetal growth and development. They're so important. B6 as a supplement is particularly helpful for morning sickness during pregnancy, along with supporting the baby's brain and nervous system. You can get B vitamins in your meals through nuts, seeds, rice, legumes, avocado, Mushrooms, poultry, pork, fish, seaweed, bananas, leafy greens. It's in a lot of different things. Or if you aren't getting enough from your diet, again, you could look for a supplement. You always want to test so you're not just like buying supplements willy-nilly and like wasting your money. But generally, if you're using a supplement, you can find a good B complex containing multiple B vitamins. Or if you test and you know exactly what you need to supplement with, you can find a specific B vitamin. You may also want to look into a prenatal vitamin, but always speak with your doctor, of course, before supplementing to get advice from a professional who knows your personal situation. Some other key foods and herbs, leafy greens. I already mentioned it with the B vitamins, but they have so much in them. They're rich in vitamin E, vitamin K, calcium, magnesium. All of these promote a healthy menstrual cycle and fetal development. They're also high in folate as well. So spinach, kale, collard greens, Swiss chard, spring greens, arugula. You can use these in smoothies as a base for your salad, obviously, um, as garnish in soups, in your sandwich wraps, um, or as sandwich wraps. Um, you can use like collards or chard, big leaves for that to roll up your sandwiches. Lots of different ways to use them. And then seed cycling seeds. So pumpkin, flax, sunflower, and sesame seeds. If you don't know what seed cycling is, you can go back to the interview with Kate from Funkit Wellness where we talk all about that. But these seeds help the body utilize estrogen and progesterone more efficiently, which as you know are essential for a healthy menstrual cycle, for ovulation, and for fertility. Their nutrients also help with DNA production, which supports egg quality. And then let's quickly talk about a few herbs. Maca powder is one option for overall hormone balance, and it supports the health of your adrenals as well. This is a nice to have, not necessarily a must. You can find it at Whole Foods, sometimes at Marshall's and TJ Maxx in the gourmet food section. You can find it at Thrive Market, on Amazon. I just blend this into my smoothies mostly, sometimes blend it into coffee or like a hot chocolate mix. Um, it can also easily be added to recipes like those energy ball or protein bite type recipes. Nettle is another great one. You've heard me talk about nettle before. 
You can have it as a tea, in broth, or as a tincture. Now, as a tea, I personally think it's disgusting, but I mix it with like peppermint or ginger to make it palatable. I definitely have to mix it with something, but maybe you have a different palate than I do. But just, just letting you know, if you buy nettle tea and just don't be mad at me. This one's high in supportive minerals. It's a uterine tonic and it supports the health of your kidneys and your adrenals too. Then we have red raspberry leaf. This is another uterine tonic that helps prepare the uterus for birth. And you can find this in dried format herb stores or a health store or in tea form usually at grocery stores and then dandelion which is great for liver detoxification because remember we want to support the elimination pathways during preconception this is also usually available in tea form at the grocery store and it's often also sold as a coffee substitute so I would look into the brand dandy blend for a coffee substitute with dandelion it's pretty good but also if that sounds like a lot, remember what I always stress, the basics, meeting your needs, having balanced meals, start there. If you don't get enough variety of fruits and vegetables in your diet, just make that a goal. If you have the budget to improve the quality of the foods you eat, make that a goal. Rather, instead of like going for organic instead of conventional, you know, step by step, don't overthink it. I do want to stress that these are all things that you can do not necessarily all the things you absolutely must do. There's so much pressure on women and people who can carry pregnancies to be these beacons of perfect health and perfect choices. And then that also creates a lot of guilt if something entirely out of your control happens to go wrong. You are always doing the best you can, and I truly believe that, and that's what matters. I just want to present the information here for you to help you make the choices that make sense for your body in your situation. So there we go. Your fertility does not fall off a cliff at 35 and you have many options for preconception planning to help prepare your internal environment for the beautiful family that you want to make. If you learned a lot in this episode, please consider giving me a positive rating in Apple Podcasts and sharing my show with friends. This audience continues to grow every week, and I'm so grateful there are so many of you out there listening and sharing this with your circles. It means so much to me. Thank you so much for being here. Until next week. Thank you for listening to The Lunar Body. This one-woman production is listener-supported, and if you'd like to support the show, you can check out the podcast perks in the show notes. Visit my virtual tip jar at goodwitchkitchen.net slash tip, or you can subscribe and leave a rating or review in iTunes so other lovely lunar feminists like you find my show. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at thelunarbody at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at goodwitchkitchen. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time.